Hey guys, we're back for episode five with a guest called Sean West. I'm just working on the edits right now and I wanted to do this intro for what is quite a conversation. We had over two hours of content and so I'm just cutting that down right now, preparing it for the episode. We're probably going to have another chat with him because he's someone who's been around since the 90s in the plant medicine world, in the ceremony world. And he's also someone who holds a community in Peru that has over 20,000 members. He's seen quite a bit of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he has quite some valuable insights to share with people who are at the early stages, red flags to look out for, what you need to be mindful of, questions to be asking, but also people who are a little more advanced on the path. He shares some pretty sweet insights. So stick around, enjoy, let me know what you think in the comments. And as always, share this with someone you think would benefit from it. Thanks so much and I'll see you guys in there. One of the main reasons that I reached out to you was I've been a part of the Sacred Valley group for some time. And I really appreciate uh, the work that you do around bringing the community together and supporting people that do the work that have been quote unquote verified that gives people an opportunity to plug into the community in a safe environment in a safe way. So I really appreciate that. That's the intention really also the safe being the really key word there where we screen the ceremonial offerings and we're also an antenna for any kind of complaints about, you know, bad stuff going on out there. Because right. we have a lot of medicine happening in, yeah. in PSAC. I'm curious, can you share a little bit about, like I was going through your website and I've seen that you've been involved since the 90s or perhaps even earlier with this world. Can you share a little bit of your background for the list so, so they can get a taste of the breadth of your experience? Yeah, I'm a, <clears throat> I started working with Wachuma or San Pedro, oh, what was that, 1990, about 89, 90. In Ecuador, I uh, ran into this medicine. My life was really going in a not good direction, actually. I mean, I was very lucky that I didn't get into a lot of trouble or something, but I was doing right. all kinds of crazy things. And uh, never malicious, but I was just completely auto-destructive and, and lost after I'd been in the military and, and war. And, and, you know, I was pretty cynical coming mm -hmm. out of the 80s. And... Uh, and I took Wachuma in Ecuador, in Vilcabamba, uh, one of the merry pranksters, Craig Money, gave me uh, some of his brew, and I went up onto the mountaintop by myself and just took it, and it changed my life, you know. It, I mean, I just did a 180 from right there. Uh, you know, I think in that first work with it up there on the mountains alone, uh, the Wachuma really made me understand that actually what I do is very important. Right. That doesn't matter what anybody else is doing and that ethics come from inside. They come from your heart and that you have to follow your heart. It also showed me that, you know, the, the, it made me feel the, the suffering of the world a little bit. It, it kind of put me in place, you know, and from that point on, I was... Uh, just working constantly in Ecuador. By working constantly, I would say like I did a lot of personal work with it. And then uh, in Ecuador at one point, communing with the Wachuma, the Wachuma said, okay, you can make me the brew and uh, you can sell me even, but for a very, very little price. No, I wasn't able to even pay my rent. I was very li living very poorly, but right. the people really liked me and I was accepted in the community of Baños on Tongaragua in Ecuador. So I got along there, you know, maybe for a couple of Christmas, uh, Christmas there, the restaurant that I ate at actually gave me my my bill as a present for Christmas because I, I was just, no, my, 
no money. I wasn't concerned with money. But, uh, and then at a, a certain point, the Wachuma closed that window very clearly. It said, no more selling Wachuma. And that's actually uh, one of the traditions in Ecuador is that you cannot sell that medicine. It's not, I would be rich right now if I could sell Wachuma because I'm very good at making it. Right. I use a, a long process that really makes it concentrated. It helps it to be more like peyote. And then I decided to go to Bolivia from there. I spent quite a time in Bolivia. I worked, I worked as a physical therapist. I learned physical therapy from a shiatsu teacher. Started offering also other forms, basically oil, Swedish, and shiatsu. And then I started developing my own form, which turns out it's an ancient form. And after I started working with it, I actually learned from people that were getting to work that, oh, this is like Maori, like squash the demons out of your work. And my work right. really centers on uh, work, working with pain as a tool. And uh, you came across that intuitively, just through following your own process? Yeah, and the, and the encouragement of my shiatsu teacher. I had a really great teacher, and she was very good at shiatsu, but she was very formative at that time. I was in a very formative period, and she really set the course for a lot of the way I see things in general. Um, she was very, you know, she taught me the shiatsu. I was very good at it, but she said, follow your observations, learn, expand, right. figure out a better way. You know, they, she was always very, very careful to to say that never to follow dogma, you know, right. never to, just because somebody realized it a long time ago doesn't mean it doesn't need to be developed. You would cite the Ayurvedic and the Chinese systems, especially as systems that have not been really advanced. They've been really stuck a thousand years back and humans are absolutely not like how they were a thousand years ago. So I, I even when I teach my bodywork technique, Uh, I tell my students, I even learn with my students, we learn new ways to do things together, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, always open and observing and, and advancing. And I feel the same way about medicine shamanism, you know? We have a, a kind of medicine shamanism from the old times, ancient lineages and things, and some are different, you know? They're, like I've recently been working a, a lot with Shipibo Indians with ayahuasca, and mm -hmm. they have a really beautiful system and, and a good Shipibo is really one of the greatest people to sit with with ayahuasca because they don't, they're not involved with uh, anything like entities or negative energies or anything like that. They don't see anything like that. It's all for them. It's just energetic blockage and getting flow. Right. And they, of course, they sing this Icaro, which is very powerful and ancient that their family has been developing for thousands of years. Uh, they have a really great uh, relationship with the ayahuasca. Right. And so they can fully bring her into the space. Uh -huh. And uh, I've been learning a lot from the Shibibos. The, uh, that's an ancient tradition that has a lot of still strong validity. And they, and they also, in their own culture, they're, they're encouraged to develop. You know, they learn from their grandfather, but they develop it. They keep it growing and changing according to the times and according to necessity. And one of the, one of the, one of the big things with the old stuff, which has had a good run of, you know, all the way from Siberia, all around the world, the shamanism has been very involved with the concept of adversarial healing. Like the idea that you heal by creating an enemy or something, a problem, like mm -hmm. something's trying to get in you, Something's trying to, you need to get something out of you, or there's an entity or a bad spirit 
or your ancestor is mad at you. All these different kinds of concepts, no? Creating, creating a, an adversary and an engendering fear. And fear, finally, like we have really grown beyond this. There's a very strong uh, movement amongst uh, the healers, especially here in the valley, to let go of that system because they've had a long run and look at humanity right now. Like we are, we're, it's a mess. And so th there needs to be a, a, a new approach. And so that would be non-adversarial healing. Basically, nothing is your enemy. There's nothing wrong with you. The only issue is to integrate, accept, honor, respect everything, you know? And when I'm giving ayahuasca to somebody, one of the first things I say is, if you see you're a devil over there and it's really gross and it's slimy and it fills you full of fear, you better reach out there and grab your devil, bring him to your bosom and just say, thanks for showing up. You know, I appreciate right. your existence. You're here. We're here. I accept you. I honor you. I respect you. And I love you. I, this is the way, you know, this is, we're really finding that this is the way because right. I've worked and watched the entity paradigm for a long time. We call, I call it the entity paradigm also the adversarial healing. It doesn't go anywhere, you know? I mean, people can get things extracted from themselves all day, but in the end, they end up with the same problem because all these things are to be integrated. And that's like what, what we really, and when we're dealing with ancestral trauma. And when you which say I believe integrated, we, can you uh, speak to that a little bit more? What does being integrated mean? And perhaps how does one experience it? Like what are the telltale signs that someone's integrated or not integrated there if there uh, if there's fear then there's la lack of integration if a person is no longer afraid of something like their angry grandfather which i believe very strongly that we carry our ancestors in our body and that probably we carry a lot of multi-dimensional beings in ourselves too we're like a spaceport you know and, and that's just the nature of being human and that's okay it's not something right. to be like, ah, afraid of, you know, it's, it's something to really embrace. And I think the, the main, the, the main uh, sign of integrating something is when you, when you lose fear of it. And like a, a big, one of my big uh, focuses in ceremony or in my body work, my body work is extremely, people compare it to, med to plant medicine because it's just so strong. It really shifts everything i really find that the, the the losing fear of something you know finally having a sense of humor about it finally embracing it going, i honor and respect every shit thing in me you know really i i i i accept it i'm a human i have compassion to myself i have compassion for every single thing that makes me me and uh this kind of acceptance no that shows integration that shows that's a that's a quality of integration and the loss of fear, you no, know? I'm a very, I have to deal sometimes, I work a lot with people who have been stuck into the entity paradigm by, by bad shaman or just talking to the wrong people, you know? And uh, especially Mexico, Mexico is just really messed up. And the jungle here, you know, we have a lot of it going on in the jungle. But people come and they're really fearful. They, they, they think they're gonna be possessed. I've worked on people that were possessed before and they are possessed, I mean, I'm not, negating that paradigm it exists right but but the the, the other paradigm the one of non-adversarial healing the one of acceptance of of uh, integration of honoring respecting 
and unconditional love is way more powerful than that paradigm. But it's difficult to get people out of the entity paradigm once they're there because we know how it is with fear. We get a strong fear going, we start running from it, running from it, you know? And, 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 and what I try to teach people is to face into their fears. You know, they need to go right to the darkest places. It's, it's absolutely important to bring conscious light to this. One of my models that I use, especially like I was working recently with a woman who was having a real problem with Mexican, dark, old Aztec, really dark stuff. And she was really fearful. And I said, okay, you got to be an eagle. You're a big eagle. And fear is a little bunny rabbit hopping around on the ground. And you're going to dive on that fear, just shred it with your talons and eat it. And just like trying to put a light in the light in it, you know, not, not to have right. so heavy, heavy perceptions about your own healing or about what's happening, you know, really starting to, and having compassion, like about for even these people that are lost in this kind of like shamanism that is basically designed to create dependence, you know, a shamanism that works with extraction or protection, or, you know, you need to, you know, you, you gotta be careful. You gotta be afraid. This is all basically creating dependence on the shaman, which is a really old system. And it, you know, it worked probably somehow in the small village, lost in the jungle, you know, but it also creates a real dependence upon the healer. And that's one of the big red flags. You know, you don't want a healer telling you, I can heal you. You know, you don't want a healer saying, I'm the one you need, you know, no. Healers, true healers, people working with trying to heal, they want to empower people to heal themselves. You know, they have some technique to open the person up to see into themselves. And I really believe like plant medicines, that's what they're for. They're, they're just to open you up so you can see yourself more clearly and then act accordingly, you know? Because like you, there's people here taking medicine every week, you know, but they don't change. And, um, you know, it's because they don't really make the effort to change their routine or to change to better their, their mental contents, you know, take control of mental contents. Don't just let your brain think whatever all the time, you know, it's finally, we are truly in the, in the time now where it's very critical that people control their mental contents. There's no reason to have worry, anxiety. There's techniques like repeating a mantra in your head, things like this that work you right. can rewire your brain you know and one of the things we really do have to do as a as, as a species is stop this anxious worrying nightmare going on inside our heads you know and it's so how does one go go about putting a stop to that nervous anxious mental worrying and create create and change well the way i did it in the story i like to tell is 13 years ago i learned that i was going to have a daughter I decided, okay, we're going to do this, you know, and, and we were decided. But I knew that I was a very anxious, worried person. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, oh my God, now I'm going to have this person, this being that I'm going to love so much. I'm going to be so worried and so constantly anxious about this little person that I'm going to ruin this little person with worry and anxiety and uh, bitter my love for this creature, you know. And so... I remembered something somebody had told me about mantras. What I did, I just said, okay, I'm gonna do this, you know? And so what I did is I started repeating in my head all the time, and my mantra, my personal mantra is, uh, gracias Pachamama, Pachatata, Pachacama, y todos los apositos. Gracias Pachamama, Pachatata, Pachacama, 
todos los apositos. Over and over. And I started to do this. And that was basically like, if you'd looked into my head 13 years ago, you would have just seen that happening. And I really got fanatical about it because I immediately noticed that if I could distract my mind with this mantra, I didn't feel the worry or anxiety. And I thought, that's great. So I'll just do this forever. And so I did. Every time I felt any kind of thought process that, that made me feel adrenaline or old, old negative fantasies, everything, I started like doing it to everything. Or worrying about this or worrying about that or, you know, whatever, you know, the, all there's so many things that we can worry about. And I just started repeating on it, repeating on it, repeating on it. And after I was about a month into that, I start, oh, you know, you stop sometimes. You can't do it all the time. I started to notice that actually I was having a hard time remembering what worry and anxiety were. And then about that time, I ran into a guy named Joe Dispenza's work, which a lot of people have probably heard of Joe Dispenza. Brilliant really great healer. And uh, one of the things he discovered through his scientific endeavors is that if you keep something out of your mental contents by using mantra, then you, the, the brain actually takes the neural pathways that provide that thing away. And so really, literally now, I am not perfect by any standard of the word, but I don't have worry or anxiety at all. My mind reacts in a completely different way to stress. You now, the other day, my son had a bicycle accident, and the first phone call I got was horrible. Somebody said, Sean, your, your son just got hit by a car, and he's bleeding and dying in the street. And I was just like, I was really surprised that I, I received this information. I was not happy about it, but mm -hmm. I didn't panic. I didn't have, my heart didn't go, my heart rate didn't go boom. I just like, I was just really focused, and I was like, okay, Trust, trust the Pachamama, trust Mother Earth. Okay, trust, this is gonna be okay. You know, we'll, we'll figure this out. And I was getting my stuff together to go and get to him, no? And, uh, and then the next message, like five minutes later said, oh, he drove into a parked car. He, he knocked himself out for a second. He's okay. And we got him in an ambulance and he's going to the hospital just to get checked out. And he was fine. And I was really relieved and really happy, but, but what didn't happen was this real panic, which I knew right. I was capable of from before. You know, I knew that I could panic, you know, like, ah. And, and of course, I've been in the military. I was in war back in the 80s. Yeah, so, I mean, I, you rewire your brain. And, uh, you, and when you really get the habit going of doing this repetition, it's like the little axe that can cut down the really big tree. Mm -hmm. You know, you just have to get the habit. And now my reaction, you know, if something hits me, Like, for instance, recently, something that hits me is the Ukrainian war. What a piece of shit that is. So, excuse my language. It may really worried me, and I, I, was, I actually thought that maybe we had moved a little bit as a species past the point of doing this, but, right. you know, it's money, and it's really stupid, and it kind of got into my head a little bit. But, I, you know, I used my repetition technique, and now it's gone, you know. I don't think about it all the time. Yeah, good. And uh, there are other techniques, working with prana, You know, and I really highly recommend Joe Dispenza's work. He, he has meditations and everything that are, that are really a, kind of like an organic uh, adaptation of yogic technology to the modern human now. And he has great success. You know, I, I really recommend you know, anybody dealing with anxiety and stress, they can work directly with creating their own mantra. You know, it can be an affirmation, it can be a prayer, it can be a Hindu mantra. You know, I think it, it needs to be long enough 
to really catch it and complicated enough to catch your conscious mind, but short enough that you can do it really fast if you need to. Right. Because sometimes you got to put some velocity on it to really block out whatever it is that's, that's really, really stressing you, you know, because stress is one of the things, I mean, I notice with my work, my body work and my medicine work, people stress themselves out. The conscious mind is stressing your body out all the time. You know, the, the body is, I call it armor. We, we have this armor that we're born with, has 10 generations of, you know, science has even seen that wrapped up into the genome is 10 generations of memory. And, uh, and even recent studies have shown there's no memory in our brain. It's all in our body. Right. And so we, we, we get born with this armor and it's, uh, and it's, it's really jacked up the armor at this point because we are really stressed a lot. People go through their day-to-day life worried about so many things. There's so much media pushing negative information into us. It's a sad thing. I mean, that's just one of the medias are really interesting in their ability to, to move information around, but there are a lot of unethical people using it, make money. And they really, they have found that people, you can get people clicking more with bad information than good information, you know? And so it's like, there's a really overbalance of stressful information and you start thinking about it, your body tenses up and you get energetic blocks because when the body tenses, it starts to catch charge and you hold that charge. And that's actually my work is to actually move this charge off the body permanently, you know? And I really, I mean, I'm very centered. I've been working with medicine for a long time, both ayahuasca and and the Wachuma. I started ayahuasca, working with ayahuasca. I started working with ayahuasca in 2003 in Bolivia. And uh, I really like ayahuasca, but I'm very much more, I prefer Wachuma as a first encounter because it's more calm. It's a, it's a calmer, slower process. Whereas the ayahuasca is really, really fast. You probably know. Right. And, uh, and so I'm curious to the, ask you a little bit more about that. Cause I noticed on your website, you mentioned that, uh, what Truma in your perspective is the most stable of psychoactive master plants. Yeah. I'd love to know a little bit more about what, what you mean by stable and perhaps what you've noticed in how people's experiences are different with that stability that you speak of. Yeah, so Wachuma, San Pedro, I like Wachuma Wachuma because San Pedro is kind of, <laughs> anyway, but a Catholic term. So the, the idea with Wachuma is it's, a very, it's very involved with heart opening, uh, it's connection, it makes you feel connected to, to everything, which we are, but it makes you kind of realize that connection more, it's more focused on that, and also it kind of, like a lot, I've noticed a lot with people taking it for the first time, second time, that it also runs through an agenda, like a checklist on you about what do you feel guilty about? What have you done wrong? What have you done right? What if, it just goes through this whole checklist and makes you accepting these things. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it kind of makes you like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, wow. And like a lot of times people leave a, a first Wachuma journey with the desire to make phone calls to people or send messages saying, wow, you know, I realized that. So it, it's kind of like an ethical, it's very ethical. And also the Wachuma has a very caring nature. It's not as wild as ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. A Wachuma is 
caring for you. You rarely get anybody ever physically hurting themselves on Wachuma because it's really watching out for you. When people take it the first time, I definitely, you know, make sure I, I tell them, you know, if you feel dizzy or something like this, drunk a little bit, sit down, you know. But in general, the, the general thing is you can walk. You can like balance and you can get through nature really nicely. And right. It really makes you adapt, it makes you adapt to altitude, temperature, it makes you adapt to having no food. You can go all day on a good dose of Wachuma in the mountains here and, and really do well, you know? And, and so it really makes you feel, it, it brings you kind of a confidence builder. You now it makes you feel strong and, and, and the Wachuma journey generally takes you through the rough part in the first three hours or a couple of hours, and then it starts to reward you with connection and, and good good feeling about yourself. Generally, really working this way. And Wachuma process is, can be, it's easy, if somebody's really processing something like trauma, abuse, it's just softer the, the manner, no? The beauty of, I, I mean, now the thing about Wachuma is it lasts, 12 to 24 hours, you know, depending on if you take a really normal, like a really full dose, like the kind that I learned about in Ecuador, uh, it's a 24 hour journey, you know, it's really long. Now, ayahuasca is much shorter, you know, you have a five hour journey and it's over, but it's so concentrated that it actually has more capacity to actually traumatize somebody. Because it, and you, and you have to be more careful about which who ones takes just ayahuasca. Clear, when you say it's so concentrated with, with ayahuasca, yeah, the time, the time frame, and the, like it has a really fast coming up, right? Peak and intensity levels are just like it, it goes for a lot of the same things, but it's just much more brutal, you know. And if somebody's really working with a strong trauma, they should like, for instance, with ayahuasca, it's much less easy to work in a space with a lot of other people. That's why, I mean, I, I worked for a long time with the Sacred Valley Tribe, about eight years serving uh, or supporting uh, mm -hmm. their full moon ceremonies. And these were giant ceremonies, 50 to 100 people. And nobody screamed, nothing, you know. And uh, so you could get people that were really marginal and would they, they would have breaks, like the psych psychotic breaks in the middle of the ceremony, which really affects everybody in a big ceremony, group ceremony and they can get traumatized, you know? And, and that's the thing, like, you know, when you're working with somebody who is borderline, you, you have to first just question whether or not they should take medicine at all, you know? I'm, I worked with an Afghan uh, veteran, a uh, veteran of the Afghan war. He was a medic from the States. He was very suicidal, and I worked with him for, oh God, I worked with him for like nine months before we even entertained the possibility of working with ayahuasca, no? because I really needed to get to know him. I needed to really understand how he was. And then we sat one-on-one, -on -one, you know, and I had to give some credible people with really great trauma, PTSD. You can, I, I gave this guy five doses of ayahuasca before he even felt it. And then it all, all right. came crashing down. And this is a different kind of ceremony. This lasted 12 hours, the ceremony. That's like the idea with ayahuasca is that some people can get into these group ceremonies who shouldn't be there. And some people don't need to take it, you know? They really need to just work on meditating, work with clearing their mental contents, work with just grounding, you know? Right. And uh, so I'm curious and about so that's the one screening process that it sounds like you've got a bit of a framework around what may or may not be appropriate given people's situations. 
Can you speak a little bit about, well, let's start with uh, what are the things to look out for that might put someone on that marginal thread that you mentioned? So marginal, how do you see if somebody should be taking the ayahuasca or not? So if the person, like one of the, one of the red flags for people is if they're very strongly seeking somebody to heal them. Like, can you heal me? Can you heal me? Will the medicine heal me? Well, you know, the, this for me is a, a misalignment. You know? right. they, they're not seeking to be empowered to heal themselves. So that's first you got to get them on that track. And then also, you know, schizophrenics, absolutely not. You know, it's like they, you should never give a schizophrenic medicine. And you can always tell a schizophrenic because, you know, they want to talk about their whole deal. And usually, like I found with the schizophrenics these days, most schizophrenics are concerned about some big organization like the Illuminati or, or CIA or whatever, mm-hmm. filming them with very small cameras and then posting films of them on the dark web to make them seem foolish. They're not even afraid for their own life. They're just concerned that, that these big organizations are trying to make them seem foolish. It's the strangest thing, that, but that is really the last five schizophrenics I've worked with are mostly concerned with this or different versions of that, no? Right. And they'll talk about it immediately. And that's an immediate, like no medicine at all, because you can cause a psychotic break permanently in one of these people. And this is not good, you know? And we warn it, we put out warnings occasionally to like all the servers of medicine here in the Valley, not to do that, but some of them still, even like experienced ones, like recently there was a, a guy, an experienced Wachimero Really good therapist, you know, and, and good with working, helping people with Wachuma. And uh, and a woman came to him. She said, you know, I'm I've been diagnosed as you know borderline schizophrenic, and do uh, you think I should take the medicine? You know, and he gave it a good thought. And he said, yeah, you know, I think we can do this. You know, you seem okay. And the woman, he had to have her country, Germany, fly her home in a straitjacket, and she's in a hospital with a permanent psychotic break. Wow. It nearly destroyed this healer. And I had warned him already, but he just thought that maybe he could help. And it's, there's no giving a schizophrenic. Like anybody who has a really diagnosed mental disorder, mm-hmm. you don't give them medicine. You work with them. You try to get their trust. You work, you know, in suicide and these kind of things. You know, when somebody talks about suicide, you know, you want to go slow with that. You know, it can be helpful, the medicine, but you go slow, you know, and and um and and just get their trust and get them talking you know that's like i mean with the with the veteran that was suicidal i was talking at three in the morning for a month you know he would just whatsapp me and i had my phone on just so he could talk to me and that's all they they really need to just be listened to you know but you need to get them stabilized you know they can't they need to be like ready to say yeah i think i'm ready to try the ayahuasca you know but any kind of mental disorder, I also, like, when people won't look me in the eye, you mm-hmm. know, if they're, like, very shifty, uh, if I sense dishonesty with themselves and with me, that's a no. Um, I'm really hard to corner into a ceremony, to tell you the truth. I mean, people use me a lot to help support their ceremonies. I work with the Shipibo to support their ceremonies. I, 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 um, I write Icaros and... I write medicine music and they like me to, after they've done their space Icaros and their personal Icaros, they like, they like a little bit of guitar or something to fill in space while people come down. But, um, but yeah, anything that, you know, the main thing is like, you cannot let money 
be a driving factor when you're, when you're offering medicine. You, you cannot be a businessman. This is one of the issues that's happened with medicine because, you know, you get, you get these groups that have big ceremonies and they make a lot of money. You know, people are paying $100 or more per ceremony and you get 30 people in there and you're doing that twice or three times a week. This is money. And so the economic axis of the center or the person is starting to be the medicine. And so you start to, you know, you cannot help it, but you're, because you're, you're, you're you become dependent upon this money and, um, and you start to make mistakes. You know, you, right. you want people to come because you need to make money and uh, you don't screen them properly and you don't say no when you should say no, you know? And so there's like this whole, and there's a lot of shaman out there, young, we call them the 30 somethings. There's a lot of them popping up. They've done ayahuasca for two years and then suddenly they're offering ayahuasca. And we're really, they have no experience. You only get this experience from, uh, from basically sitting a lot of ceremonies and finally seeing what happens when real trauma comes up in a space right. and how you deal with it because it's startling sometimes. I mean, somebody will scream bloody murder in the middle of a dark, silent space. This is intense and it freaks out everybody and suddenly you have like a big freaked out energy in there. And suddenly people are being traumatized, you know? They're mm -hmm. scared, shitless. So you need to know how to be stable through all of that. And I think because I was in combat in the military that, you know, I, because I, as I've been working with medicine, I've realized that I'm just unflappable. Nothing, even if I have been double dosed, triple dosed by accident because some people are a little bit not careful with their, their brew and how it gets a little bit dense at the bottom of the bottle. So you get the last dregs and suddenly, you know, and, and basically when I get overdosed, I just go outside, lay on the ground. I'm really quiet and I just lay there and just let it do its thing. And, and I trust the Pachamama, the earth to keep me from falling anywhere else. I just like lay there. And even people can come and say, Sean, how are you doing? You know, usually you're inside playing music. And I'm like, no, not this time, you know, I'm, it's really strong, but if you could bring me a blanket, that would be great. Then I'm back in, you know? And so I have this like no panic, you know, I just, I don't panic. And yeah. that's really important. Somebody, you cannot panic, you know? I've had, uh, I had a... You spoke about the importance of someone not panicking and you kind of mentioned a few things earlier on in our chat about red flags and a good shaman versus a bad shaman. If, if we could open this conversation up a little bit for people that are new, for people that perhaps have some curiosity or some inspiration to explore ceremonies or indigenous medicines. We just mentioned a few of the themes that are important to look out for as red flags on an individual level in terms of someone going after a ceremony, but I'm curious about what are the other red flags that you see within the space? You mentioned people who are inexperienced. What else is there that you've seen that are common themes? Great. So yeah, I'll just go through them. Like main like red flags are the first big red flag is I am going to heal you. If somebody says that, that is a major red flag, right? You know, that's a, that's a shaman with an ego and um, that's a real problem because they're going to create dependence on whatever process. And they're probably going to be into adversarial healing, creating an enemy, creating fear. And uh, another, another one is paying for a retreat up front. You have to, if you're going to pay for a retreat up front, you need to talk to the people and say, look, if I get there and all my, all my 
inner inner voices say no because that's the thing you need to meet the person who's going to serve the medicine and you need to have a really clear open translation trans, translator or something with that person mm-hmm. if they don't speak your language you know and i highly recommend that people work with somebody who speaks their native tongue and i mean i love there's a lot of great indigenous mm-hmm. uh but a lot of them are not and right. you know it's it, it's not just because they're they're an indigenous that they're going to be great at, at at this work and a lot of them don't even have big even concepts of what integration is or what is western trauma no and so this is a this is an issue so i always like you know like when we work with the shipibo i'm there i'm translating everything i'm i'm i am like if the person has a question and the ma- the maestro the person serving um and the shipibo is definitely because they are very um dedicated shaman like a shaman is a shaman his whole life he doesn't do anything else right. and so they call themselves maestros but that's another red flag you know um if a guy is calling himself a maestro you know you have to really watch that you know like if somebody says i am maestro chapo or whatever this is always a, a little bit of a red flag you know why is this person calling yourself a maestro for me maestro is a term that's been kind of abused and is kind of it's lost its validity you know true maestro is somebody who's observing and learning every moment they 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 observe what's happening they never they always question their own judgment they always are questioning questioning and right. adapting adapting to what's happening you know in anything in any modality of healing or even any kind of modality of anything it. it's really important that you know there's this you know i don't mean you know, it's a kind of humbleness you know it's like you question yourself i mean I'm doing a ceremony in this Saturday that's going to have 40 people going around a circle processing heavy energies out of the land. It's a Wachuma ceremony. And every time I do this, I always have a moment where I I'm questioning, you know, I'm questioning my, you know, you know, and it's so it improves. We always improve. I'm always looking for a better way. And um never just sitting on my past experience, but also knowing my past experience is there. And so maestro that's a kind of red flag and then also if a maestro is at all flirty if you feel any kind of like if you feel attracted even to the maestro like oh you know and he's putting off that vibe that's a big red flag you really got to watch out there's a lot of sexual predators out there mm-hmm. um you know if they say oh you're very beautiful you know or or your eyes are so beautiful and all, and, and also building building a attention of like saying ah oh, you're special you should like do learning courses with me or you should do a longer retreat with me because there's something very special about you that's a big red flag you don't want people putting you on a pedestal like this this is a really bad start you know and just trust like when you meet if you go to a center I'm going back to the center thing. So when you go to if you're going to go ahead and go for a center and there are some good centers, no? Mm-hmm. Working with Shipibo Maestras and Maestros and and uh but the refund policy has to be really clear. You have to be very clear with them about the refund policy because when you get there and you feel the vibe of the place, you should feel welcome. You should feel accepted. You should feel compassion from these people. You should feel like, "Oh, these people are going to take care of me. I feel and then feel like you have communication with this person. 
These are, this is so important. If you don't, then you need to have the ability to say, you know, I just don't feel it. And if they start to try to convince you and say, no, 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 this is even more red flags. Anybody who's trying to convince you to take medicine is definitely not somebody to take medicine with. I mean, the first per- first thing I do when somebody uh, comes to me with a uh, with a kind of uh, you know request to take medicine is like I'm like, are you really sure? You know, I want you to sit with this, like sit for an hour and just meditate and see inside yourself. You know, is this the moment really? You know, maybe you have other things you need to do first. You know. And, and, and really, really, really believe that you're called to the, and know that you're called really from within to take the medicine. You're not going to take medicine to have an experience. You know, it's, it's not an experience. You need to have an intention. Like, why am I taking medicine? And also you need to understand that medicine's not going to heal you. It's not a heal-all. I've watched people die of cancer, trying to taking tons of ayahuasca, trying to heal themselves with, right. with ayahuasca. And it's not, that's not the way it works. The medicine is going to ask you to do something and change how you are. And, um, and healers who talk about that and are more in that kind of state, you know, and people, also healers, like one of the things, you know, that people that work with medicine is that, you know, they have to be available for an interview like a Zoom call or whatever, some sort of interaction. And in that interaction, you have to also feel, how do you feel with this person? Because who's serving, as Terrence McKenna and uh, you know all our psychonauts from the past have said, you know, the most important thing is who's giving it and who's there and where you are. And that, these are very important things, you know, you don't, right. if you arrive to a, a place and you're meeting a bunch of people that are gonna be on a retreat with you and you just like, some people, some these people, or they're, they're, the way that they're being just freaks you out, then you have to be able to back out, you know? You have to be able to say, okay, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be with these people for a week. And, um, you know, something that's happened, and it's very modern, it's a very new thing, it's not has nothing to do with old technique or anything. I mean, the oldest technique of ayahuasca is that the shaman took the medicine and worked on you, and you didn't take medicine. And, and it, through the 70s, and the eighties, the, the concept came together and the idea even that you, ooh, you can make some money like this is having a group of people take a bunch of ayahuasca and have this experience. Right. You know, it's working to help the paradigm, but there's a lot of casualties involved with this kind of work. So you want, uh, you want somebody who's very interested in interviewing you and getting to know you. And they ask you questions like, what kind of medicine, medicaments are you on? Have you, what's your mental health history? What are you working with? Do you know what you're working with? Are you even focused on that? You know, somebody who's really looking for to know you better, you know, and really to understand you. And uh, and this can be, you know, like if I do a group ceremony, it takes forever, you know, and, and in most centers, they don't want to spend that much time, you know, because I basically make every person, you know, especially if it's a bunch of strangers, I make every person talk for as long as they want in a talking circle before the ceremony and explain and open up their heart and talk to everybody and, and, and expose themselves, you know? Right. And if you know, so the, 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 everybody gets to know each other and knows what the hell is in the space, you know? And it's a beautiful moment, and this is a very powerful process, but it can take hours, you know? Talking circles, as anybody who's participated in them, they're long, you know? 
and uh, and some and some centers aren't really ready to give the time to that. And and some but some retreat centers are. They spend a lot of time integrating and talking, and everybody talks and gets to know each other. They do meditation. They do a lot of other activities around the ceremonies. Now, one of the things, but, but one of the things that's come up is is the idea that you got to go and take three ceremonies in a week, you know, or you do three ceremonies in in ten days. Um, you know, this for me, when somebody takes ayahuasca with me, I tell them, look, you know, and they're like, ah, I'd like to do three ceremonies, you know, like the centers. And I say, well, you take this one ceremony, and then let's think about it, mm-hmm. you know, let's process that. And I believe very strongly that, you know, I tell people, you know, when, you, when, you, when you're going to take the medicine, you should not do anything really big and important for your life for a month. You know, let it sit. Integration is about giving space to what's just happened. Because you know, medicine is very powerful, you know. Right. It's not just like a, a thing. And, and it's, you know, it's one of the worrisome aspects of like recreational use of mushrooms and, and LSD. Really? Also very well, powerful. When you say very that powerful. someone shouldn't do something yeah. big or important for their lives, what do you mean by that? It, it's shifting really big things in you. It's opening up spaces in yourself, bringing consciousness to big things. And you right. need to give it time to set in, you know, and to really work with it, you know, and uh, and it, it makes people feel new things, you know. For me, like for instance, like for me, it's really actually not that important what you see on a medicine. These are visions. Visions. That's not the purpose of medicine. Medicine makes you feel things, and that's what I always guide my my um, clients towards is. What did you feel? It's the same thing with a dream, you know? A dream can be really crazy, but, you know, one of the things that you always ask when you're working with dream work is, like, how did you feel? What was the feeling? Yeah. You know, what did you feel? And, and, and this is what medicine is really doing, is, is making us get closer to our emotions and to give them, and teaching us that we need to give space to these emotions. We don't need to put conscious structures on them. We just need to experience them and this is how you can work with emotions more successfully is just by giving them space and feeling and that's what medicine does like ayahuasca a really great friend who who passed in the last few years diego palmas he liked to say that ayahuasca is like a direct connection to yourself and to reality and and the importance in all of the experiences that feeling that that gives you because it's switching on all your capacity to feel emotion and that's what can be so disturbing also with the mission because you connect with really disturbing emotions that you've been suppressing for a long time. And, uh, and even the Wachuma can do this really strong, you know, especially grief, anger, you know. And, uh, but it's important to know those things or at least have an idea that those things are there. Now back to the red flags, just watch for those crazy eyes, you know, because there's like, you know, you, how do you feel when you're talking to this person? There was a guy here for a while, uh, a Swedish guy who was offering Wachuma to people. And he was just like, if you have any discernment at all, at all you realize that he's an unbalanced character. Right. But people were sucked in by him because he had a lot of charisma. And basically, you know, the last complaint and the final blocking of him from all of our medias was that he got some guy, he was like talking to, in, talking to this guy in this cafe and convinced this guy to do a Wachuma journey with him. The guy paid a bunch of money and then, Went up in the mountains, took a lot of Wachuma. It was kind of disturbing the experience because the guy was unbalanced, he was leading. And then the guy whips out some mushrooms in the middle of the whole journey and says, here, let's do mushrooms with this. 
wow. and gave the guy mushrooms. And then when they got back to town, you know, they, they went to a bar and started drinking beer. And that, and, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, people, you know, and, and that's another thing to watch out for. You, you want, when you talk to the person who's offering to do work with you, you know, you want to feel good with them, but you have to watch out for charisma, charisma, like really powerful charisma. That's like, you're like, oh, wow, you know, and you feel like, whoa, wowed by this person. You're, you know, you need to watch that, you know, and, you, and, but they, and they need to be really forthcoming about what they're going to do while you're on Wachuma, you know, what's, what's the program, you know, like, well, okay, we're going to walk up for four hours to this place, or we're going to sit in this temple until it's done, you know, and, and that's another, that's another thing that I, I, I encourage people to look at is that a lot of ceremonies, especially ayahuasca ceremonies, they start at a certain time and then suddenly at one o'clock in the morning it's over and this for me is just wrong i mean like a ceremony should go as long as it takes the last person to come home and that might mean like like for instance when i worked with when i worked one-on-one i have no time schedule you know i'm keeping track of everything i'm giving the medicine holding the space keeping it calm and uh but i'm not like thinking oh god okay it's like oh, it's 12 o'clock we got to start thinking about stopping no i'm waiting for that person to be done and people some people can take hours you know like your general ayahuasca ceremony runs four to five hours i've had ceremonies run to nine to 12 hours and of ayahuasca you know and, right. and that's really unheard of and and this comes back to the money you know this over concern about money is also something to watch out for. People who are in the ayahuasca business, it's going to be a less compassionate space. You know, that's just how it works. I mean, it's, it's, if somebody is, if you're like somebody, a, a business client, this is, you know, we have to watch this. It's, it's a new thing. It's, you know, and, and, and even people that work that way and have done massive amounts of people, they've even helped shift the paradigm, but, there were people in their ceremonies that I'm still in contact with people from ceremonies that I supported, large ceremonies that were traumatized severely by the medicine. And they're still like talking to me and working through their trauma after years. But many people in the ceremony were helped and it helped shift the paradigm, especially like the wide variety of people, even like members of parliament from England have been in those ceremonies. And um, so, you know, some people have this massive like attack concept get ayahuasca into as many people as possible and it's going to help everything but what happens is a lot of people fall through the cracks because there's not a big interview process mm -hmm. there's not a real checking in so people get hurt you know and that's why i like the wachuma much better than the, than the ayahuasca for big groups you no know? because big groups they tend to develop a connection and a communalness and especially if you control like the this big wachuma ceremony that i'm doing the, there's no looking in the eye, there's no talking, there's no touching. Nice. And this makes it much simpler. And, and what ends up happening is you have all these people that didn't really know each other coming out at the end, feeling like a family, you know? Wow, we did this amazing shamanic work together to clean the land. And then this ceremony is powerful, the long dance that I do. It's uh, based out of a Cherokee, Lakota, Plains Indian tradition of taking peyote and doing a long dance. They basically call it where you're just going around a circle. You create a vortex, you suck the heavy energies out, and uh, but everybody's always really okay at the end, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's a long ceremony. It's, it's basically 10 hours of actual work, 
and then there's a long integration period where everybody talks. Um, that's why that's one of the reasons like you, you run into less possibility of trauma with the Wachuman. No, it's just it's just the nature of it. Whereas the ayahuasca can be really, really crazy, you know, like when she's really strong, it's really strong and it's and it can be very confusing for people. And um, I think also one of the things that's very um, important for people that serve is that they take the time before the ceremony to actually take an hour to explain what is going to happen, you know, like, especially for newcomers, you know, like they're going to sit there and say, well, it's like this, my experience is like this, everybody's experience is individual. And they're talking about the, the, the ideas of the ways you can like, you know, like um, work with it if it's really intense. And like, they talk about the process, they have a good long speech about it. You know, this is a, this is important. And, um, also, you know, watch out for shaman that are all dressed up in ponchos and and uh, like $300 worth of Native American jewelry. For me, like one of the also interesting things is being a great musician, which there is incredible. In the Valley, we have some of the most amazing musicians for medicine music, period, like really. Mm-hmm. And But what I've learned over the years is the music is not the container. It's the server and his actual compassion and love for all the people, unconditional love for all the people that are there. And that's another thing. If you feel like the shaman is annoyed with you, then it's a red flag. Why the fuck is he annoyed with you? No, that's not how it works, you know? At least somebody who's serving has to have at least some compassion, you know, for your condition. You can be the most obtuse, like social media, freaked out Westerner, but still, there has to be compassion there for it, and and time. They give their time to listen. They listen to you. You know, they're not like cutting you off every five seconds, saying, "No, well, you know, this we can do this." And like, no, they're just like listening to you. And and, and you know, like any good therapist knows that you listen. You know, and I think it, I think that you know, that's the issue. Like shamanism. You know, having some therapeutic experience, therapeutic experience is invaluable for serving medicine. You need to be therapist orientated, therapy one on one. You know, you're not going to hit on your client. You're not, you know, you're not, you're, you're listening. You're, you're compassionate. You're not judging. You're not, you know, you feel judged. You feel anything negative from the person who's going to serve. That's a red flag. You trust yourself. That's what I try to really tell people who people ask me a lot, you know, like I'm looking for somebody I don't really resonate with the way you do it, but I'm kind of looking for somebody and I, I tell them, like, well, okay, look for the person you resonate with. That's a really good if you don't resonate with me. That's fine. You know, I'm I'm from Texas and Oklahoma. I have certain things that people don't resonate with. And, uh, you know, if you're really looking for a local, like some people really want to want to take with an indigenous, you know, and and do it the old fashioned way and stuff. So we have like. You know, and I have recommendations for that kind of work. But, you know, and, and you find, like, with a really good indigenous, first of all, they have a translator. They, they have somebody right there. You know, even when they meet with you, they're, like, meeting you with somebody else who's going to translate. So that it's really clear, the line of communication. And they're compassionate to your situation. You don't feel judged, you know. You say, like, oh, I have an Internet uh, porn uh, addiction, you know. This is gives reactions from therapists sometimes like oh you, you, you see it in their face like oh gross 
fuck them, you know, don't do, go, go with that person. You have to, you know, because that's a real thing, you know, and that you have to have compassion for it, you know, you can't just go, oh, you have that, you know, it's no, 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 no. It's, you know, you have to feel like you're being accepted, you know, I think that that's really important, you know, and then yeah. and I talked about the sexual vibe and, and uh, accoutrements being too, super shamanic if the person has pictures on their website of them standing with the staff with like fuzz with like um, cloudy border and they're they, they call themselves the Andean shaman you know and they're you know watch out for this stuff i mean it's people you would be surprised how many people are like sucked in by this i mean there's a guy up in our valley and i'll say his name because he really needs to if that's okay there's yeah. a guy named paco who runs a center in sacred valley a guy named paco and he has a center and he has been like nailed for sexual abuse very many times the whole community re rejects him he even on his trip advisor he has complaints of rape but still people don't research the name of the shaman and so they he ends up with groups and we wow. still getting complaints like women coming to me saying shut up and we've tried to put out warnings and such, but we, due to defamation being a real problem in Peru, we're limited very much about saying a name or really exposing solidly a shaman, no? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we've had that, you know, fortunately, we, we, well, unfortunately, or bless him, but one of our sexual abusers actually died in the COVID. And uh, we were all just like taking a deep, breath of relief because finally he's off the screen you know so to speak and i think that one of the things i can definitely say is if you're you know looking at a center or anything like that you have to find out the real name of the shaman it's not like maestro jose you know it's like what is his full name and you google it and you'll be you know like bad shaman have warnings out on google and TripAdvisor. they're out there so like you want to research your shaman the person you're interested in, no? Like if you want to work with Sean West, me, Google it, you know? See what people say about Sean West, you know? And um, find out, you know? Because a lot of information is out there already, red flagged people, blacklisted, and, um, and a lot of people just don't. They get sucked in by the, the beauty of the website, the photos, the picture of the shaman, what he's written, what he says. And uh, they say, oh, wow, this guy sounds really switched on and whoa, cool. And they end up with Paco. And then there's like, you know, and that's just been a mess. You know, I thought we'd taken care of that problem. But it's then that's the thing. One of the interesting things about medicine, she is immoral. She's just like the Pachamama. She loves every one of her nasty little creatures. You know, it's life for her. They love life. They love, they they don't like just because a, a shaman is totally unethical. The medicine's just going to keep. He'll, he can keep working with the medicine right. and it's just it's just their delusion ethics are for humans ethics are not for plants plants don't have ethics you know but the server is where the ethics come in you know they bring the ethics to the situation it seems like there's these two ends of strictly indigenous type application and then this modernized version of ceremony that's come about that You've obviously been witnessed over the last 20, 25 years. From what I'm gathering, the indigenous type setting, they didn't have this therapeutic approach. It was, you'd come along to a ceremony, you'd have the, the ceremony and you'd be on your way. But someone approaching it from a Western mentality, 
that doesn't necessarily work because there's such a large bridge to cross in order to understand the applications of in strictly Indigenous ceremony. So I'm creating this context for the question of what are some of the foundations that you see are really important for an individual to have in place prior to applying themselves to any kind of ceremony? Because you've spoke, okay. spoken about people having psychotic breaks or like being traumatized or something like this. So if someone was thinking about exploring plants or indigenous ceremonies, what are some of the foundations you'd say that are really important for them to have taken care of so that they can support themselves? Okay, so like one of the things, like there's some really interesting, there's centers that work with indigenous, but actually offer also uh, integration. So they're working, the indigenous working with the Westerners. Right. These are really good situations, you know, because the indigenous do their magic which is really magical. I mean, like when you finally sit with like a good Shipibo, and there are bad Shipibos, but when you sit, and, and oh, another thing, you know, word of mouth. Trust, word of mouth is good. You know, if somebody says this place, you know, if you hear from enough people that this place is great, mm -hmm. then it's probably going to be great. That you feel like they're offering other things, you know, besides just the medicine, you know, that there, there is the kind, like when they have a schedule, there's integration every day, there's, you know, meditation, there's like other activities. Is this going along the right direction with this question? For me, I'm getting the sense that from what we've spoken about, the putting the onus on the facilitators, whether they're indigenous or, or, or not, for an individual to have a safe landing isn't necessarily the optimal way to go about it. And it seems like there's value in speaking to, if I, as an individual, am curious about going into ceremony, what are some important things that I should have in place for my life to make sure that I can ah, have a safe landing? Yeah, I mean, definitely um, you need to get beyond the idea that this is a bucket list item. This is not a bucket list item. This is not an experience. This is healing yourself and you need to already be focused on your internal situation. You cannot be... The, the more you are avoiding things in yourself, the more problem you're going to have in a ceremony. And you got to, you have to be real with yourself. And I really recommend meditation. Like I have basic grasp of being able to sit still with yourself yeah. and uh, deal with yourself, you know, and be aware of your behavior patterns. Be aware of your physical, like what hurts, what, what's wrong with me? What is bothering me in life? Mm -hmm. Being um, being self-aware, you know, is so important. Coming in really unconscious about any kind of mental, any kind of process of yourself, no capacity for introspection. This is dangerous. This is where a trauma happens, right. you know. And what, how do you get people to do that? Mm, that's an <laughs> interesting one, you know. Um, you know, also be aware of your own eating habits. Be aware of yourself. What are you doing with your life? What is the reason why you want to take medicine? What do you, you know, are you seeking purpose in life? Are you seeking to understand your purpose in life? These are good intentions. Uh, do you know you have, have had abuse? You know, and have you really looked at that? And uh, at what point, how deeply can you share? You know, will you, will, can you be honest to somebody who wants to work or that you want to work with? When somebody's in the space, it's, it's invariably going to happen that there's just people going to wander into ceremonies because they 
say, okay, everybody's taking ayahuasca, so I'm going to take ayahuasca. I don't even know how to like, you know, I th- we are working on a web, we're working on a website or a Facebook page, you know, is like titled, are you interested? Here are some important points if you are interested in medicine in any way and try to bring these things up and try to share this information more because, yeah, I mean, how do you make somebody be introspective, you know? Yeah. If they're just blindly forward going encapsulated in their own. Nowadays, we used to call it egocentric in the Western world. And then now people are calling it narcissistic. But, you know, we are coming, like as we come out of childhood and in, out of teenage years, we're all narcissistic or egocentric. We, we perceive reality according to what's going on in our head, you know, and we just like work with that. And we actually really limited in our communication with others and our empathy and everything, any concepts of compassion, unless it's been something that's been introduced to you in your childhood, like kids that do Vipassana, right. you know, for example, uh, my, my kids and I, we sit meditation every morning and they're very conscious of what other people f- feel, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but the idea of being past that is, is, is a good thing, but the medicine will blow you, blow that away a lot of times. No, that's like one of the, one of the things with medicine, they'll take a narcissistic, narcissistic person and just like shift them because it'll just make them say, feel the suffering of the world and get outside of themselves and go, Oh my God, you know, what's wrong with me? But yeah, that's a hard one. You know, how do you prepare yourself for medicine? I think, you know, eating a good diet, clean diet, less proteins, more fruit, you know, being hydrated, being stretchy, doing yoga, you know, it's a cliche, but yoga, meditation, these things are really base, you know, mm-hmm. if you have a day, a strong daily routine of self care and self communication, communicating with yourself, I think that these are pre- good prerequisites for really getting a lot more out of medicine. No, yeah. um, you know, if you have a, you know, alcohol habit, strong alcohol or marijuana habit, you know, look at dropping that, you know, trying to at least for a few weeks before taking medicine to definitely stop and deal with it. Because like, you know, marijuana, there are some tribes like the Yawanawa and the Hunikunis from uh, Brazil. They smoke a lot of pot, even the Daimis, some of the Daimi sects smoke giant Bob Marley's in the middle of a ceremony. But the Shipibo, are completely against it. And you say, no, it just blocks and it's fuzzy. And I've actually come over to the Shipibo point of view on that. Mm-hmm. Marijuana, it's a blocker. We use it, like Western culture is using it to block trauma and from feeling trauma. And you know, you have your regular smokers, it's become legal in the States and that's a very two-edged sword. I mean, yeah, it's good that people who smoke pot are not getting charged with a felony. <laughs> that's good. but. A lot of people are smoking pot and that's really, it's blocking, you know, and and with ayahuasca, especially marijuana, it blocks certain process, no, and um, blocks opening. It's a fuzz that's kind of keeping you, because a lot of times ayahuasca will try to get you to remember trauma. And that's actually important. As I've worked with many kinds of trauma, the most severe possible trauma you can possibly imagine I've worked with. And what I've really come to is that the process eventually involves remembering the trauma. 
And we know that marijuana blocks the the, the capacity to remember. Right. And so is there so, a period of abstinence from marijuana yeah. that you suggest as a minimum? Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're a regular marijuana smoker, like day, daily, even if it's a small amount, like a bong hit once in a while each day. That, you know, it's really, if you want to do like a strong medicine, like ayahuasca or even wachuma, you're going to get so much more out of the experience mm -hmm. if you're not smoking ganja. And, or, and what's the window of time that you suggest people allow? Minimum, 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 at least a week, you know, because like, you know, it's hard for some people to stop because it, it really, they, they get into a lot of painful mental spaces once they really pull off of it. But three weeks would be good, you know, so somewhere between three and one week, you know, before you actually sit the medicine. And definitely, like, I do believe that, you know, abstinence from sex is not bad, you know, like abstinence at least a week before. And, you know, and things like if you're going to do a retreat with a with a with a lover that you really abstain for a week and that you do not sit next to each other when you do ceremony. You really create space. It's like in Vipassana. You know, if, if a couple goes to Vipassana, they always separate them, right. distance. And, um, and, um, and it's really hard doing retreats with your, with, your, with your partner. You know, that's a very added thing. So I also recommend a lot of times that people who have had long relationships or even short relationships, that they don't do the retreat with their partner or they don't do the ceremony, especially the first time. You know, if they're both the first time and they're like a couple, you know, and I've done it because they just want to be that way and that's okay, I'll work with that. But I see that it's more optimum if the couple is not connected like they're in the ceremony together because it definitely is a distraction, you know? Right. And, uh, and of course, like drinking alcohol in the week before medicine is it's a big no. You really, you need to be, you know, because like a lot of people in the States get into like the cocktail after work or the beer after work every day thing. And that's right. like a, just a common thing in Western culture, you know, a wine before a wine with dinner is good for your health, which is by the way, bullshit completely. And they, the alcohol is not good for you. You know, it's like you, you, you can't get around it. And it's even, there's so much research and, and you, if you look at the advertising that says, oh, but it's good for your heart, it's good for this, it's good for that. This is all funded by people who sell alcohol. <laughs> and so it's something to watch, you know. It's, it's, a, it's a big part of our culture, Western culture, you know, alcohol and, and now marijuana and hash. And, um, but we have to understand that, you know, these are crutches. They are things that, you know, I, I, had, I, I had a daily habit, you know. But I mean, and I, I had a daily habit for 43 years and I stopped. Finally, you know, it was like I didn't smoke much. I just put a sprinkle of it in my, my pacho that I roll and smoke. But finally, it was blocking memory. And I realized it when I stopped. And I finally stopped to the point like I just don't have any desire for it because I, I really realized that what I wanted was clarity. And that's what the thing is like having daily habits of strong, strong uh, blockers is keeping you from having real clarity, you know, and keeping you from really getting in there into the really nasty stuff that you need to get be aware of, you know? 
Right. Like everybody has to, everybody has to own their shit. That's like a nice term that people use right now. You know, own it. Yes. I sometimes think, God, I wish my mom was dead. You know, like you need to be okay. You know, you're okay. That's part of you. Some part of you wishes your mom was dead. Okay. That's okay. You don't have to feel guilty about it. You just have to realize it's there, you know? Right. And you work with this. Like people have the, the most incredible thoughts pop into their head and they, they're, they hide it from themselves. They hide it from everybody else. But the more you are in contact with those things and, and just accept them and realize that, yes, okay, you know, there's, we're, we have different parts, you know, and we have really because of the way we've been programmed by Western culture and by the last 10,000 years of patriarchy, the, or 5,000, there's two, there's different uh, belief systems on that. Uh, patriarchy def definitely had a beginning, patriarchy. But uh, we have distorted thoughts, you know, and you can work with them with mantra, to try to unwire those kind of things that pop up um, and just work with it. And, but being aware, you know, being honest about it is a, a nice prerequisite. Abstaining from heavy foods, I mean, the Buddhists, you know, Buddhist scientists have, have noticed that, you know, when you eat meat, that, you know, depending on how the animal die, you're eating a series of peptide chains in that meat that is the fear that the animal had because right. they were trying to figure out and they figured out this is like part of memory research that got initiated about 20 years ago that's led to a lot of discoveries about memory and definitely you eat an animal that was in fear all the time you're getting some fear information into your body you know so so the whole idea is like try to be clean be prepared prepare yourself you know understand that there's a source because that's the first thing the medicine wants to show you is that hey there we are connected and it's through this and it's very intense you know bufo for example a, a medicine that's actually being abused a lot is very powerful for that that's one of the quickest ways to fuck yourself up on the planet <laughs> because it's so powerful you know and uh and also i think you know like when people approach the medicine and they're going to take the medicine one of the things that they really really need to have developed is what is gratitude what is thank you just be grateful to be alive grateful that you're here grateful to be this point of perception you know this is a really great amazing gift that we're given every time you wake up in the morning be grateful be grateful for it you know it's not, you know, be grateful for your life, you know. Somebody is always somewhere, and this is like an old thing, but somebody is suffering somewhere, yeah. constantly. And you're suffering too, but, you know, there is always somebody suffering more than you. And that's a, that's, that's a kind of, meh, it's not that clear that. But, but just the idea of being grateful, and then when you take medicine, like as you're holding it there, be grateful that you're there, you know, that starting with gratitude is a great way to start any kind of medicine journey, you know, being grateful and maybe not asking for things so much, you know, you want, you want healing, you want whatever, like, like Diego, even this guy I worked with for a long time, Diego Palmas, he liked to say, it's great, you know, come with your intentions and have intentions and everything. But that moment, just before you drink the medicine, just throw them out the window because the medicine knows what you need. And it's going to go wherever direction, whatever your weak point is, it's going to go for it. And it's going to show you it and be ready for that. You know, whatever you're not, you know, a lot of my things were like, I remember like even still, you know, I take a very strong dose working in ceremony. It works a lot with my 
I'm very self-conscious and I'm a little bit like a introvert extrovert. And so like, I'm always doubting myself and I lack some self-confidence and she's always goes straight there, you know? And, um, you know, and I've realized that over the time, you know, and, and people like, you know, they'll ask, you know, like, don't ask for a vision. That's not why you're taking medicine, you know? That's also just a big mistake, you know? It's like, okay, visions come, visions go. Visions are even hard to interpret, you know? They're, they're really complicated sometimes, you know? Just, just surrender. Be in a state of like, okay, I surrender myself. I trust the medicine. I trust the earth to be here below me. Here it is. I'm not going to fall anywhere and be, you know... I also recommend a lot, like some uh, ceremonialists uh, recommend that you sit very straight and, and in this kind of meditation posture. And I absolutely do not go for that. I really think you need, when you take medicine, especially for the first time, be comfortable. Lay back. Like my favorite is like you'll with yourself lean back and with your knees up, you know, and just kind of be very comfortable. Because a lot of times the medicine disrupts and, and confuses the, the stomach muscles and things like that. And uh, it's good if you can hold the medicine in for longer than 20 minutes, you know, when you start off. And a lot of times if you're just trying to sit straight, it's not comfortable. And, and so, you know, I recommend people being comfortable. And I, I question that. That's like a kind of new idea. Be in the meditation posture when you take the medicine and be respectful. This is I don't think the medicine really cares how you're sitting. Uh, <laughs> I think it's way in another level of plants, you know. Another thing, like I, I don't. You know, when people start to talk about plant medicine as a, you know, I say ayahuasca her or San Pedro he because it's just an old habit. Very not aligned in that way, actually. You know, they're more, they're just a plant, you know, and, and a lot of unconditional love is in them. They love their creatures. I mean, I believe we are creatures of plants. Like plant, if you want to worship something, worship green stuff. You know, that's why we're here. There's all this green stuff around. And or the sun, you know, or like something like this, that's actually, or earth, you know, these are things that actually matter, you know, and I think being connected to, to, to something like this is important when you're going to take medicine and, and, and trusting, you know, trusting, you know, if, if you're in the right space, you know, it's going to be safe. Watch out for shaman that, that, that say, oh, watch out, ayahuasca is jealous of this or Wachuma is jealous of this or that or the, attributing like uh, human emotions to plants is a kind of anthropomorphication that I don't think is very advanced and that's why some you know some people like there are really great uh, medicine people who are gringos they you know it's okay you know they have therapeutical experience they have compassion they're meditating and you know and that's another thing looking at the life you know, look at, you know, you, when you're talking to like somebody who's going to serve, you know, ask them, what do you do every day? You know, what's your routine? What do you do? Do you ever drink beer? You do, are you, you smoke pot? You know, like ask them questions and they should be honest, you know, straightforward, you know, like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. I, yeah, once in a while I smoke a joint, you know, and that's okay. You know, like you know, there's okay stuff, you know, oh yeah, once in a while I have a beer, you know, that's okay, but that they're honest and forthcoming, you know, really strong addicts, you know, uh, also if you're on like Prozac and things like this, you need to be off of those kind of SSRI inhibitors before you do ayahuasca for sure. That's because that is like a really bad mix and uh, it's less important with Wachuma and um, you know, I've worked with addiction a lot and um, opiate addiction being a really major addiction.
that fortunately seems to be thinning out uh, was really bad in the 90s. And, and the person you're going to drink with should be really concerned about that. You know, and they're like, what, what are you doing? You know, what's, 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 what kind of supplements do you take? Are you on Prozac? You know, do you take ibuprofen every day? Do you have like physical pain that you're working with? You know, all of that is important. I feel like we could do a whole nother episode. I've got a mountain of questions that I'd love to keep exploring. I'd love to offer yeah. you the opportunity to, first, if you've got any closing statements, also if you'd just like to offer, you know, where people can reach out to you, where they can be in touch with you. I'll, I've got your website, so I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, and my WhatsApp number is good. I, we work a lot in the Valley. We work with Facebook and WhatsApp a lot, you know? But what I would say to people is when you're working with healing and alternative modalities, when it starts coming into plant medicine and this kind of work, trust your inner voice. Trust you. You are the one, you know? You're the one you know somewhere you have a super consciousness you have a a complete understanding of everything somewhere in you and so listen to this inner voice seek this inner voice inner voice and trust your feelings you know like about things you know we can't really go that way with like uh, if a cancer patient comes to us and wants to do detox well you know they, they'll they'll say i really feel like my body wants roasted chicken you know well yeah you can't trust that voice that's an addiction to something but but when it comes to like you know do i trust this person does this feel right you know trust that and 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 for sure research whatever center or whatever offering research their names research look for TripAdvisor, google it you know there's information out there that, that give other people's past experiences with these people and that's really important you know don't get yourself in a situation by accident that could be harmful to you you know and uh, never underestimate medicine like plant medicine very powerful and um and so it's not just you know and also i would i would say like even if you're taking mushrooms and lsd which are really powerful medicines mdma you know look at where you're taking it a lot of trauma comes out of burning man because it's such a hedonistic environment you're going to take psychedelics and your trauma is going to come up and we're, you know, always make sure that, you know, you're in a, even if you're doing recreational with your friends in the forest with mushrooms, you know, make sure that they're nice people, you know, that you're with the right people and that, you know, you have, you know, take care and, and don't never underestimate it, you know, even if you're taking MDMA and going to like a rave, you know, look at the people of this rave. What is the, what is going on? You know, is there alcohol involved? You know, I highly recommend don't mix alcohol environments with plant medicine environments you know i'm not going to be like a total strict person and say don't take medicine recreationally in certain environments you know like sometimes uh, ecstatic dance i really really like the ecstatic dance scene i think that if it's being led well uh that it's okay to take some mushrooms or something like that but to watch out you know like if you are in a recreational space with medicines don't take that much don't go for the like hero dose with a bunch of strangers with loud music. It's just like, you know, be careful with medicines and, and, and know that the way you hurt yourself is, is by not using your discernment and, and, and not respecting the medicine properly. Know that how strong and what it is doing to you. And um, yeah, and it really finally ceremonial space, that's the space. That's the way you take medicine. In a really, even LSD, 
can be done in a special ceremonial way, just if you're doing it by yourself in your garden. Important to think about this place, these spaces, you know, give, give, give thought to the space and who you're taking it with and who you got the medicine from. Always be compassionate and, 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 and nice to people. Be nice to people. That's a good, that's a really great way to go. Yeah, I really, it's really nice to meet you. It's a, I appreciate very much. And Wish me all the best for the long dance, a beautiful time. Thank you again and yeah, we'll be in touch. Yeah, it was really my pleasure. Really, thanks so much for having this podcast. I think it's a beautiful and, and important, you know, getting people with experience to talk about their experience. You know, it's, it's useful. It's yeah. so useful. You have a lovely, lovely, lovely day. All right, guys, that's episode five all done. Thanks again for tuning in. Please share this podcast so we can spread the word with anyone that you feel will benefit from it and drop some love on the socials. We're on YouTube and Instagram, Soul Path Podcast. I'll see you on episode six.